All right. Hey, John, we're back to do another recording for working sessions here. Looking forward to catching up on Editor Ninja and everything that's happened with you over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I know we're kind of working on this idea to kick things off with a little bit of an icebreaker, something that we've observed around the web, mostly uh, in the bootstrapping, entrepreneurship, marketing kind of space. And I think we agreed that we wanted to talk about this tweet, I believe it was, from Kevin Indick at Shopify. And the general sentiment here is, you know, if you're a senior leader, you should treat yourself like an athlete, right? And I think you you brought this to the table, so maybe you remember more details around that. But what's kind of the broader context for bringing this up? Yeah, what's up, James? Good to good to see you, man. Good to be doing this live. So, yeah, I mean, I've known Kevin for quite a while now, back to his search metrics days. And the, the tweet says, I'll just read it first, and then we can kind of discuss it quickly. He says, hot take, senior leaders should treat themselves like athletes. They need to rest and recover, work on their mental game, get in repetition, strategize their approach, improvise slash pivot when needed, and overreach reasonably. I don't know what he means by that last part, but the first part, the rest and recover, work on their mental game, get in repetition, strategize their approach, improvise slash pivot when needed. That really, really resonated with me. I thought it might be interesting to talk about because, you know, you and I are both senior leaders, right? You and your role at The Good and me leading my main company, Credo. But, you know, we're both also now back to being individual contributors with Castaway and Editor Ninja. So, um, you know, this resonated with me because, you know, I've been in digital marketing for 10, 11, 12 years now, something like that. And... When I was younger, it was just like, it was hustle, man. It was hustle mode. Like I was young, I was single, no kid, like just, just cranking, you know, working a ton was consulting at the agency and then blogging on the side and all of that. And now 12, 13 years on, like I'm tired, you know, I'm 37, I'll be 38 this year. Like I just don't have the, like the mental capacity, the same energy that I used to have. And the reason why this tweet resonated with me is because just leading a team, you know, if you're tired, if you're not operating at your top, if you're not giving like strategy and you're not giving, you know, direction and coming from a good place, you're going to lose your team or your team's just going to be like, wow, this person's kind of all over the place, right? You're supposed to be the one driving the vision. And if you don't have the space to sit back and really think about things broader, be investigating, you know, new areas that how other people are growing, that sort of thing, you're just not going to be an effective leader. And so I've really tried to do this with, I take most Friday afternoons off. I take some Fridays off from time to time to go skiing or mountain biking or whatever. I go on walks pretty much every morning around my neighborhood, 30 to 45 minutes. Like I'm really prioritizing my time to like sit and think and listen to what other people are, you know, talking about just because that's what gives me the ideas. That's what gives me the energy to then come and show up for my team. So that's why that resonated with me. You know, you, you mentioned before we started that if you're going to be working for the next 30, 40 years, like... You, you can't just burn the candle at both ends, right? Because you're just going to burn out. So I'm curious about your take too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's inherent in a lot of entrepreneurs to want to move quickly, right? And I think in some organizations, that's even a core value is let's move, let's make progress. There's competition out there. There are opportunity windows that might be closing. There's new technology coming that could eat our lunch. Like fast is, <laughs> is a competitive yeah. differentiator, right? But sometimes it can be like, okay, you can go fast for a while, but you can't go fast forever. You're going to break down. And you see that with athletes of all different types. Eventually you have some kind of an injury, whether it's from volume of work or if it's from pushing yourself too quickly, too fast. Right. So, you know, I think like recently I figured if I want to take Castaway seriously, if I want to also take my full-time job seriously, and I want to take my role as a husband and a father seriously, 
you have to play the long game and you have to kind of make your peace with maybe we will move a little slower. Maybe we won't make progress as quickly as we'd like. But wh what is the phrase? It's if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Right. And I've heard that mm -hmm. said several times. It's well, the point of Castaway, the point of my work at The Good is is the team. It's not just me. And yeah, so if we're going to go far and we're going to go together, then I think that's a more moderate pace. And that's something that has to be more sustainable. The way I'm putting that into practice to go back to Kevin's tweet, they're talking about rest and recovery. They're talking about mental game, you know, getting in repetitions. Like for me, uh, that's protecting some time to take care of my personal well-being. And um, you and I have done this accountability challenge. Mine was all about uh, showing up into the gym every business day and, and doing that because I've neglected that for the most part for the last couple of years as we grow our family. And mental health, in my experience, is tied very closely to physical health. And when I don't let that stress out in the weight room or running or whatever else I'm going to do, then I kind of bring it home or I bring it to work. And it, it's subtle at first and maybe nobody notices. But if you let it get out of control too long, I'm not the type of person to snap, but I am the type of person where it's like to lose track of something, right? Uh, because I'm kind of mm. carrying that stress with me. And I totally forgot about this important project that slipped through the cracks. Like that's that's not my normal character. But I find that when I don't like... I don't know, get that energy out uh, in a physical way in some way, then uh, that tends to manifest as like hiccups at work or something like that. And I don't want to have that happen. You know, the other thing that I think he says in here is about overreaching reasonably. To me, from the athlete perspective, that's like pushing beyond your comfort zones a little bit, right? Like that's, that's testing um, the, your personal limits. And for an athlete, that would mostly be a physical limit. But it's like, hey, okay, you know, my personal record is whatever, 10 seconds on the hundred meter or whatever, but like the world record is 9.3. So today I'm going to try to like really empty the tank and get as close to that as I can. And maybe I get to 9.9, .9. but it's that regular, not every day, but once a quarter, a couple times a year, like really trying to go as far and as hard as you can to remind yourself that whatever you think your limits are, there's more left over there. And you just kind of have to break that mental switch that's holding you back from that. So to me, in a business sense, I took that as just, just create scenarios where you're comfortably uncomfortable, right? Like you're doing something you're not familiar with. You're pushing the boundaries a little bit. You're learning a new skill, something like that. Or you have a high stakes sales engagement or something. You're trying to land a big client. You're in that conversation. That's the kind of thing that I'm taking away from Kevin Sweet. Maybe that's not his intent, but that's my interpretation of it is it's good to feel uncomfortable sometimes and feel imposter syndrome and feel like, hey, the, there's a lot riding on this. And if I screw it up, like that's going to really suck. But that's when you know that you're growing. Totally. And there's kind of those smaller areas that you push yourself in, right? Like I've lifted weights for a long time. And so you can push yourself too hard, right? And you end up sore and you you actually like risk hurting yourself. But you can also like doing an extra rep, doing an extra set, like something like that. You're not doing it all the time, but it is kind of pushing you to that next level. And then there's kind of your ultimate line, right? You can push yourself. Like I've, I've flirted with, uh, with burnout many, many times. Um, and I've realized that basically I know in order for me to not burn out and for me to be able to show up and to keep showing up, I basically need a week long vacation every quarter. <laughs> and that sounds like a lot, you know, in the rest of the world, other than the U S it's not, it's normal, right? When I live in Switzerland, they get six weeks a year, um, plus holidays and all that, you know, in the States it's two weeks, but I basically try to take a month off every year, you know, a week, every quarter, go somewhere, go to Mexico, go to Europe, you know, go visit friends, you know, whatever other state, like, and actually take it off because I know that I'll push hard. I can push hard for 10, 11 weeks. And then I need to reset, right. To go into the next quarter. So I'm actually trying to take it like end of every quarter. I have a vacation at the end of March where I have one coming up end of June, you know, and I'm basically trying to do it every single quarter. And then at the end of Q4 is always holidays. So I basically need to figure out like, what's that one, like end of September ish. Cause I know that like, I'm going to push myself to that point. 
And then I just need, I need, yeah. you know, in order to reset myself to go back into it stronger. I mean, athletes obviously push hard for their whole like a season, but then they basically have their summer off, right? And they, they always go on vacation and that kind of thing, right? I, I follow these like professional skiers that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're skiing super hard all winter, like November through, you know, April, May, like they're skiing hard. And then guess what? They all go to the beach in Mexico for two to three weeks, <laughs> just like yeah. fully recover, you know? So I, I think we need to think about that as well. That's actually how athletes work, right? They do push themselves. They do push hard. They push themselves out of their comfort zone, but then they also take that time to step back. And so it's kind of a balance of like, how do you do it while you're pushing really hard and make sure that you're having time to sit back and think about strategy and all of that. But then also, how do you fully recover once you've kind of gone through an intense period, whether it's an intense launch or something like that, right? A six week software production cycle and then a couple of weeks of bug bashing and whatever, like every company is going to be different um, and every you know person is going to be different. But I think trying to find that balance for yourself and for your team is super, super important. Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of people feel like they have to have it figured out from the start. And if you don't have it figured out, you have the shortcoming as a person, but it's trial and error. It's try taking yeah. a long weekend. And if that's not enough, then take one week off per quarter. And if that's not enough, take one week off per month or find a way to get closer to that. But it's highly personalized and contextual to like your specific needs. Yeah. And the recovery piece is interesting to me because I saw a documentary a long time ago about Ronnie Coleman, the, the power lifter. I think he was like multiple time Mr. Olympia. And even on the micro level, like the recovery that those guys go into, you work out really hard for two hours in the morning and then you like go home and literally just lay on the couch. I mean, they're fortunate that their whole job is to get bigger, get stronger and look as good as they can. But like he basically said, I don't leave the couch or the bed in the middle of the day. And then I go train for really hard two hours again at night and then I sleep for 10 hours. And that's my life for nine months while I'm getting ready for this competition. And uh, I believe I also saw a headline in the last six months sometime that uh, Russell Wilson, the NFL quarterback, spends a million dollars per offseason just in recovery, in, in cold tanks, massages, like that suction cup procedure that they get, the electrostatic yep. stuff, like nutrition, yep. all that. The grand total is a million dollars per offseason just to get ready for the next season. So if that doesn't put a, an exclamation point on the importance of rest and recovery, I don't know what does. And, and you know, that's something where recently I've done a better job of protecting time to invest in my health and my physical health specifically, but still not great at that, that kind of like quiet strategy thinking time, you know, like even mm. I'm just like obsessed with podcasts, which is part of the reason that I'm starting Castaway and, and audiobooks fall into that same bucket. But you know, the, I think the next step for me in improvement is to just like find a way to be at peace with like silence and thought, you know, I kind of feel this need to fill every gap with learning and education. And at some point it's just, you have so much clutter in your brain that you don't have any space to like organize that and actually translate that into action. And the the balance of consumption versus taking that action feels a little out of whack for me right now. So I think that's kind of going to be hmm. my next focus is like, how do I just, you know, if I'm on the exercise bike for an hour, like how do I just be quiet, you know, and, and think about the, yeah. the business or life or whatever, instead of just constantly consuming, let me hear what somebody else's business is doing, you know, just scaling that mm -hmm. back. Totally. I mean, this is why, this is why I'm up at live 36 AM every morning. Like I've not historically been a morning person, but I've turned myself into that because I get that quiet time, right? And I'm, I'm an introvert. And so I need like an hour in the morning before my daughter and my wife are up to like really think and just like get into a good headspace for the day. And that's where I read. I listen to podcasts, like that sort of thing. I've been trying to not be on social media in the mornings, like super early just so that I can focus, right? I'm probably undiagnosed ADHD as well. So like I find social media super early in the morning just sets my brain in all sorts of crazy ways. But if I'm reading and just really like focusing, meditating, that kind of thing, I'm actually really focused for the day and able to get the things done. But this is also why like 
when I'm skiing, right, I go skiing by myself because like my wife, we ski with my daughter and then I'll go ski and I'll come back, take, take her over. Wife goes and skis. I used to listen to music or something like that while I was skiing. And now I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy being in the mountains. I'm going to enjoy the sound of the wind in the trees. I'm going to enjoy the conversations I have with people on the lift, right? And not be like, oh, sorry, I have my headphones in. Like, I don't want to be that guy. And I, I think that's really, a, it's a good balance to find. Like the balance of learning and thinking new thoughts and learning new things. But then also like, Sometimes you just have to let it settle in and it just kind of sits in the back of your brain. And guess what? You're not going to hear what's going on, you know, in the back that you're kind of processing, like in your subconscious, if you're constantly filling the front of your brain with new things, you, you have to be quiet in order to hear that. There's a trickle down effect to that too, where like every, everything you consume creates a new to do. You're like, oh, someday I should go in and do mm-hmm. that technical SEO update that I've been meaning to do forever. Or I should run this PR <laughs> campaign or this book outreach campaign or whatever. As the more you listen to other people's stories and expertise, the more you want to add to your pile. And then that just kind of, you know, accelerates that feeling of being behind or that baggage that you're carrying. Yeah. So yeah, shout out to Kevin for uh, posing an interesting uh, question. And, you know, I think I don't, my only advice here, I guess, for anybody who is a senior leader or is like progressing in that direction the best thing that I found is put it on your calendar. That's the best way to protect it. Mm. If you just say, oh, I'm going to make some more time to do strategy, it kind of never happens because it gets eaten by everybody else. And we naturally want to say yes to a lot of things. In fact, somebody, you won't be able to see this if you're not watching the video, but somebody sent me a sticker here that says, nope, nope, nope. Let's see if I can get that to focus. And like uh, they're like, you need to say no more often. And I'm probably not alone hmm. in that. So like, put it on your calendar, block out the workout, block out the strategy session, whatever, even if that's just for yourself and uh, try to protect that time because... Otherwise, it, it just tends to not happen, you know, and yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, making also making peace with being less of an individual contributor as you get into more leadership roles. That's been a struggle for me because like I get a lot of value and, and personal satisfaction out of like creating things and doing the work. And uh, it's not really a micromanagement thing. It's just I enjoy doing that. So the more that I have to let go and make peace with the fact that like sometimes the meeting is the work. Sometimes the one on one with the mentorship and coaching is the work. Sometimes just putting the strategy on paper is the work. Like I wrestled with it personally. I don't know if you feel the same, but like sometimes when I'm just like, hey, my only objective today is to figure out where we're going as a marketing department or like what my Mm -hmm. big campaign is for this quarter for Castaway. That feels like wasted time when I should be in the code or I should be writing or I should be making video clips or whatever or doing a sales conversation. But that's work too. And um, yeah, when you can make your peace with that, I think you'd be better off. I remember when I was at Zillow and near the end of my time at Hot Pads, I had grown my team from myself to there were eight of us, me and seven other people. And I had been in like seven hours of meetings every day for the whole week. And I, and like I had hired myself out of any of my individual contributor jobs. I was no longer writing content. I had a content manager. I had an SEO like lead. I was no longer doing SEO. And I was like, man, I've just been in meetings. I feel like I'm not getting any work done. I, I had this realization that I was like, wait. Meetings are my job. This is where the work gets done now because I'm in a leadership position. And that was fine, right? And some of you were going to hear that and be like, oh, meetings all day sounds terrible. And it kind of is. But also, if that's your job and you're a manager and your job is to push things forward and other people to execute on it, that is the work. So let's not say meetings are not work, right? It's not work for individual contributors largely because they need to have time to create. But if you're a manager, that is the work. Yeah, right. I think the only thing I would I would say before we get into to updates is if you think that you don't have time to take a day off, do it. Just take a day off. <laughs> and you will prove to yourself that you do have time to take a day off, right? If you take off Friday, you take a long weekend. When you come back Monday, there aren't going to be any fires. I can like 98% promise you that. And you're going to teach yourself that like you can take a day off and it is okay to take a day off. And then start scheduling it in and start doing it more. And the freedom you feel there is, is going to be pretty incredible. And also a way to get more margin in your day, um, in your weeks is I do a time audit about every six months. So I'm actually doing it this week 
where every 30 minutes in an Excel spreadsheet, I'm writing down what I'm doing. And then I'm going to say, okay, what did I do there that didn't actually move any of my bigger goals forward? So let's cut that out, right? Or what can I delegate to people? What needs to be done that can't be delegated? And I just come to peace with the fact that that's part of my job for the next three to six months. And part of that too is figuring out how I can delegate some of it. So yeah. I'm, I'm doing that right now. And this week's gonna be a little crazy because I was sick yesterday and, and didn't get a ton of work done other than like some creative writing, but I canceled all my meetings, that kind of thing. But I got some cool stuff done, which I can talk about, but it was, yeah. So anyways, just auditing your time and saying like, where's my time actually going? Cause so many people are like, oh, I'm so busy. But when you actually look at what they're doing, it, it's truly busy work, right? And busy work is, is not good. It's just work that like is taking up your time. It's not actually moving the needle forward. So what can I eliminate? What can I delegate? Otherwise, like what do I need to keep on working on that and work towards being able to delegate it yeah. or automate and Be honest it. with yourself because I've, I've tried that. It's really easy to be like, I'm going to write off this 15 minute distraction because that's that's uncommon. That never happens, right? Well, it does happen. Like that, right. that probably is more common right. than you think. So write everything down yeah. and then step back when you're done and assess it with an objective lens. Totally. totally. I guess I'll jump into the Castaway updates first. Do it. And let's see, I'll start with some operational stuff. I've engaged with a couple of contractors to maybe do a new website. Uh, if you check out our website right now, as we're recording here, it's pretty awful. It's basically a one-page sales letter and it could it could be a Google Doc, right? And it's got stock illustrations that are royalty-free and all this kind of stuff. And I'm surprised it sells anybody, but the fact of the matter is it doesn't really <laughs> sell anybody. I do, right? Like it's personal network, it's outreach, it's referrals right now. And so I, I think I'm at the point now where it's like, Historically, I would go into WordPress and I build my own site. But as this is something I'm working on on the side, I've got a full time nine to five that I'm engaged with. This is the first time I'm really thinking about like writing a check to have somebody else uh, take that off my plate. And it's a little mm. bit uncomfortable, but I think it's the right thing for the business. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm evaluating like WordPress and Webflow. And I think I know what your answer will be for this, John. I think all your businesses are built on top of WordPress and it is like the most popular website platform in the world. I'm kind of looking at Webflow just as, you know, as it's because of this, the nature of this project, like it's a good time for me to experiment with the new platform and not have a whole bunch of risk associated with that. It's not tied to my, my salary, my job or anything, but I'm trying to be thoughtful about the limitations of both. Like WordPress can get bloated really quickly. Webflow can be a little bit more complex from a user interface type of style and finding somebody to develop a custom Webflow site might not be as easy as WordPress right now, just because of the difference in lifecycle and maturity there. So yeah, I'm waiting those two platforms, but the, the, the real update there is uh, I've got one contractor that specializes in each and the decision point I need to make is basically because they're priced about the same and timeline and all that kind of stuff. So it's all right, which platform do I want to go with? And, uh, you know, just stroking that check and getting that project kicked off. But yeah, in the meantime, I think I'm going to make an incremental improvement with card. If you're familiar with it, it's card.co yep. with two R's. And that's just going to be, I already have that landing page done. I'm just waiting on a designer to deliver graphics, but I think that's going to be my, my step change improvement that makes progress in the next like week or so. And then I know that full website redesign is going to take 60 days, probably 30 to 60 days. So yeah, that's the operational update. I guess I'll pause there for any reactions. I guess my question for you would be if you need a full custom website at the stage you're at, right? Cause you could do with a pretty good, uh, web flow theme that someone else built or, you know, a good WordPress theme, like whichever one you choose, you don't need a full five to five plus K like, you know, custom site, you know, you, you can do it and you, you, yeah, you just don't need that at the stage that you're at is my take, but you know, whether WordPress web flow, like which one, which one do you know better? Which one's going to let you, you know, do what you need to do, right? WordPress can get bloated. But it also doesn't have to with a pretty simple like marketing site, right? With with a blog and you know six six pages, you know each one talking about your services like that sort of thing. But you know I, I haven't really played around with Webflow. Do, are they like a is it like a drag and drop like sort of thing like a like Elementor on WordPress or something like that? Or is it like harder to 
harder to update because I like to get into the code as a front end developer, but yeah, I would say, I guess for the, for the listeners context, like I'm a fairly non-technical marketer, like I do HTML and CSS and that's it. So my description of Webflow might not be yours, but, but I think it's fairly similar to Elementor in that like it has some drag and drop. What you see is what you get elements to it, where you can Mm -hmm. drag a, a toggle switch and increase or decrease padding around an element or whatever, but it's also structurally presented in the same way that the actual code would be. So you have containers and divs and and things like that. And Mm -hmm. so you have to be familiar with like how margin works versus padding or something like that. And you have to be familiar with what's it called, like an exact location versus a relative location for an element on a page and things like that. So it's a little more technical than any WordPress option, I would say. But at the same hmm. time, you know, that, that increases the flexibility too. And it's not quite as limited as like something like Elementor might be. I know somebody who's really good with Elementor can do pretty much anything they want. But to yeah. your point, yeah, I'm leaning towards WordPress primarily because, and the reason I'm, I'm leaning toward having a more developed site is because I think content is part of the long-term play here. And uh, I want a CMS that I can actually start to publish under now so I can see some results in a year from now. Mm. And I just think the WordPress framework with the SEO plugins that everybody knows about, I think that's a strong foundation to build that on. And Card can't do that. So mm. they, they don't have a CMS option. So that's kind of, it's more of an investment now for the long-term effort. And if I'm gonna build kind of a blog or a content effort, it just seems fair to pair like a web design project with that. Yeah, fair enough, man. I mean, I think, yeah, you could kind of could kind of go either way. I mean, you know, people like to. It's cool to dog on WordPress and to dog on the things that have yeah. been around for quite a while. But like, it's been around for quite a while for a, for a reason. reason. You know, yeah. it works, right? Webflow is the same way. Webflow has been around for quite a while as well, and a lot of I'm seeing a lot more people using it for their for their marketing site, if I can call it that. Right? I used to hate that term. I use it all the time now. But you know, there's a lot of a lot of people are using it now. When we, you know, Credo, when people are like coming to us for look for an SEO agency or something like that, right? What do you want? It used to be all WordPress. And now it's like WordPress or Webflow. We're getting more like Webflow projects and such there as well. So it's a good platform. It just kind of depends on what you need, right? With a blog and ability to launch new pages. And I think Webflow's SEO is pretty good out of the box, but that's something you care about, right? Like ranking for stuff and driving in leads that way, then, you know, it's a consideration to take into account, but I'll be interested to hear kind of where you land on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have that update the next time around, just make a decision and move forward basically and, and know that you can always walk it back. It's not, it's not to your point. Like I can, yeah. I can sell with a Google doc right now. The problem is like when it gets beyond me and somebody I know refers somebody, they point them to the website mm-hmm. and you, that's, you only get one chance at that first impression and you need to pass that credibility test. And I think what I have right now is kind of, it's okay, but it's not great. Um, yeah. See, sales and the card update, oh, you sent that to me. It looks good. You know, you've got some yeah. pricing on there and that sort of thing. There's obviously a lot that you can do on that side, but it's a, it's a good like next, you know, stair step, <laughs> right? Shout out to Rob Walling. It's a good like right. stair step, you know, to getting to a full like new site that really sells the service for you, you know, yeah. but it's a good, it's a good start. Right. And at the end of the day, it's that action that, you know, momentum begets momentum, right? You have to right. start. And then that, then the, the energy just kind of takes off. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Okay, so quick sales and marketing update. We're still hovering around 3,000 MRR on subscription services, but I just sold an interesting project. It, it, basically, it's worth 3,000 by itself. It's a bundled offering. But basically, this person came to me and they said, hey, uh, I'm doing kind of like these sales prospecting calls. So he does financial mm. services and he's, I'm going to get business owners on the phone. I'm going to kind of do a discovery call with them, ask what kind of financial challenges they're facing and how they're handling those now. 
you know, the loose objective there is to introduce them to my services and what I can do for them. But I'm leading mm -hmm. with this idea that if you let me record it, I'll turn it into marketing material and we'll put it out to our audience. So your business will get in front of our audience. And then you can put that on your personal social media or whatever you want to do for personal brand building. And that's how he's presenting it to the prospects. So he's getting these folks on the phone. They're opting into this marketing angle. And he basically wants to have it be, you know, fodder for Facebook ads or, you know, like long tail prospecting on his site and social media platforms. And I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of an interesting angle. So, you know, it's yeah. outside of the wheelhouse of what we would normally do. Like we present ourselves to the world as turn your podcast into a bunch of promotional material uh, to distribute across different platforms and channels. But when somebody comes in like that, I mean, I think the lesson here is you can specialize and you're still going to get opportunities outside of that specialty. So it doesn't like a lot of people think if I just present myself as a solution for one specific thing, then I'm going to cut out the opportunity to land all this other business. But those people still find you. And I think this is evidence of that. Yeah, for sure. I see that all the time and mainly in Credo where, you know, I had someone this morning because we say we basically work with U.S. speaking or English speaking agencies, right? Mainly U.S., U.K. I had someone this morning from South Africa ask if we were companies from South Africa. Like we don't mention South Africa and they're curious about it. So yeah, like you can, you can focus down, you can niche down and they're still going to find you. You could even go with like, you know, content repurposing, right? For Content repurposing for marketing, right? Something like that. And then say like, podcasts, blog posts, you know, whatever it is, right? Turn blog posts and social media assets, like that sort of thing. You can have kind of these various like niches, you know, that will repurpose this kind of content into this, this kind of content into this, if you want to message that, right? And, but you can, you kind of learn that by people being like, well, you do it for podcasting, you do it for blog posts, you do it for sales calls. It's like, yeah. we can, <laughs> we can build a process around that. So Original that's value cool. Original proposition yeah. was like anything you broadcast. So if you, if you do mm. webinars, if you do workshops, if you do a conference talk, like it was anything that you broadcast, that's where Castaway came from. And I just figured we'd land a lot of podcasters because that's kind of like where all the, the energy is right now and all the investment. But then somebody was like, hey, you, you need to just pick one as a starting point and do the whole land and expand strategy. Like just land and say, we repurpose yeah. your podcast or pick one. And then over time, continue to layer in value propositions that have dedicated landing pages for webinars, dedicated landing pages for sales calls or whatever makes sense. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the strategy I'm following. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about, I'll just talk about one of these challenges. I guess I'll just take this, this first one I had in the notes, which is basically I'm at this point now where it's, I'm doing a lot of this stuff myself still. And so I'm kind of doing the sales. I'm kind of doing all the admin that goes with that, you know, the invoicing and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I'm still doing some of the delivery. Right. And I'm at this point now where it's like, should I hire a bunch of folks to fully outsource the delivery and just make peace with the fact that like, I'm going to spend my nights and weekends working on something that I only bring home 20% of the revenue at which at $3,000 a month, isn't a crazy amount of money. Or do I keep kind of doing it myself and just, you know, embrace the fact that like it'll build slowly over time. And by the end of this year, we're at $10,000 a month or something. And I'm keeping half of that, you know, like that, that's what I'm wrestling with right now. I don't expect to have an answer on this call necessarily. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Are you, are you wrestling with that with editor ninja? I'm guessing since you are also running credo, like you're, you're hiring right out of the gate and um, taking the DIY yeah. out of it. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny with Credo because when I first started it, I did everything for quite a while and would pull in a contractor every now and then. But with Editor Ninja, it's, I've already got a team of three. <laughs> it's me and two other and two editors. And you know, as we sign on, basically, like I have to bring on a new editor for every two new customers that we get. So as we sign in new customers, I have to bring on more editors. So you know, if if I can close some of this like sales pipeline I have, you know, in my in my CRM, which I finally got last week, then I'm gonna have to bring on a bunch, of, you know, a few more editors, right? And so pretty quickly growing. So I I can't I'm not an editor, right? So this business is interesting because it's kind of forcing me 
to have to build a team, you know, of, of people that can deliver. Cause I, I could have delivered on, you know, SEO projects like back in the day, you know, with Credo. Yeah. So it's kind of a different, it's a different approach. Um, and what I do and the way that I'm thinking about it is, you know, I kind of set like specific, like specific goals for myself. It's like, at this point, I'm going to do this. Right. And so it comes back to knowing your numbers that, you know, if you're taking home 20% of the revenue that you're making, right. A, I would say that should be like 30 to 35, ideally for you, you know, after all other expenses, of course you're in like in reinvesting mode and, and that sort of thing to really like get it going. And then you can kind of trim back some of that stuff, right. You pay the 5k and you get the website and that, that sort of thing. But also saying that, you know, at some point you are way more valuable doing the marketing doing the sales, et cetera, and then having a team built around delivering it. Because the challenge early on with any business like this is, especially when you can do it, when you can do the work, you can do the repurposing, that sort of thing. Um, you are going to very quickly, you know, you get if you sign on three more customers, you are very quickly going to be the bottleneck and you're going to have to scale. So I, I think it's, a, yeah, I just, you know, can you handle, if you're at 10K MRR, can you be doing all of these things? If not, basically say, okay, once we hit whatever 4K, 5K MRR, then you need to have in place this team that's going to be able to deliver most of the things, right? And you're still doing the QA, but by 10K, then you're going to have a project manager that's doing the QA and you basically need them, you know, 15 hours a week, right? To make sure that assets are good to go and stuff is getting back, that kind of thing. So I would basically set like, you know, just knowing how many hours it takes and, uh, you know, kind of what you're best at and what you enjoy working on and that sort of thing. I would kind of set goals and say, at this point, I'm going to, I'm going to need to hire this person, or I'm going to need to find this person so that you don't become that bottleneck in the business to keep it from growing. Yeah. I think it's gotta be a, a triggering event, right? There's some kind of, whether that's financial or it's number of clients mm -hmm. or something like that. It's okay. When, yeah. when X happens, go find yourself a project manager or whatever you're going to do and move it out that way. But you know, I think, exactly. I think it's worth mentioning because it's, it is basically saying, you know, between investing back in the business and hiring or outsourcing all the delivery type of stuff, like you might only make uh, $500, $800 a month from $3,000 a month recurring revenue. That might be all that you take home after everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, you just kind of know, which is interesting because I don't need the money. Like I have a day job. I get paid well right. at my day job. I don't need the money, but <laughs> right. I still think that way. So I can't be the only one yeah. that like looks at the numbers like that, to me. especially because it's, it's my nights and weekends, right? Like I could be doing any number of other things, watching Netflix. I could be reading a book. I could be doing other stuff, but I'm sitting in front of the computer still hammering away at this. So mm -hmm. I think that's really where the baggage comes from. It's just something you got to you got to let go of. Okay, cool. Let, let's hear an update from yeah. the editor ninja side of the house. Yeah. And I would also say like in the early days of a business, right? Like you're figuring out the processes, you're kind of building the bank account, right? Like I'm a big fan of the book Profit First. Like it really helped me out with, with my other business. And so I'm really thinking about that way as well, really keeping an eye on what's our margin, but also making sure that we have a couple months of, basically he says two months of expenses in the bank at all times. With my other business, we have four because I'm, I'm quite risk averse as an entrepreneur actually. And so with Editor Ninja, like I've not paid myself a cent from that business. With Credo, I did not pay myself a cent from that business for nine months from the time I started it to the time I to, to the time I paid myself. It was like September to June simply because I didn't need the money because I was consulting, et cetera. Like I don't need the money, you know, from Editor Ninja at this point. It will feel good to start paying myself. But like at this point, I'm like, what? like an extra thousand dollars a month isn't gonna make a difference to me right if i could pay myself that for meta ninja so but eventually i will and i'll kind of stair step my way into you know into paying myself a salary and you know taking distributions at first and then paying myself a salary and that kind of thing so 
you know, it, it just kind of depends on your own like individual needs. I know there's a lot of people out there that are starting a side business because they want that extra money, right? Yeah. And so, yes, yeah, start paying yourself, whether it's $500 a month or something like that, you know, and, and as your business grows, then pay yourself more, but have a certain kind of amount that you need to have in your bank account and a certain percentage that you're paying yourself, whether it's 20% or, you know, something like that. And it all comes back to the margin as well, right? Like, right. you know, you said with Castaway, whether it's 20% or 30% or something like that, like, I think Editor Ninja is at a 50 to 60% margin, which is way more than what I thought it was going to be, which is super cool, which means we're going to be able to invest more in growth and and all of that if I can get my freaking uh, Google Ads account working, which I, I can update <laughs> yeah. on. But yeah, I'll, ju- I'll jump into my, my update. So basically what's happened in the last couple of weeks, you know, it's been cool as I've gotten Editor Ninja off the ground that... I've actually had like quite a bit of interest um, in it, which is what I had hoped for. I'm doing two to three demos, uh, like sales calls a week, um, which is pretty cool. Um, And uh, I signed on a big customer uh, a few weeks ago, which, you know, dramatically affected our our existing MRR, but also meant that I had to bring on a new editor, which was cool. It was a pretty seamless onboarding. I'm actually really lucky with uh, with editors because in a two-sided business like this, finding, you know, you kind of have to balance supply and demand. And with Credo, it's been flipped, but with Editor Ninja, it's flipped back where basically as I bring uh, on customers, then I need to bring on editors versus with uh, Credo, there's always been way more uh, interest on the agency side than on the... Um, the, the demand side has been way, way harder to generate, which is the same way with Editor Ninja. But I also have a, an ace in the hole with editors because my lead editor, Sophia, who is also my my assistant at Credo, she went to school for, she got her MFA in literature and editing and that sort of thing. So she has a network of 7,000 professionally trained editors. <laughs> so as we need editors, we just tap into that, right? So it's like just straight ace in the hole. It's not going to be a problem to bring on editors at all. So uh, so bringing on our latest editor was great. I did realize there are a few kind of processes we need to build out around like onboarding. Like she literally pinged me like 30 minutes ago about, Hey, can we like hop on a call? I'd love to get some feedback in our, from my first couple of weeks and like that sort of thing. So it, it made me realize, and like with her first document that went out, we had the same problem as with the very first document that Sophia edited, where they just made the edits directly in the doc and didn't suggest mm-hmm. them, just made them directly in. So the, the customer was like, what edits were made. I'm like, ah, shoot. So we're actually building out those processes from the start about this is how we edit this. You make a copy, you are on suggesting mode, like it's this level of editing, like that sort of thing. And so that's been, you know, good learning, but also learning that I'm taking from my other company and my experience into, into this new one that like, Hey, we just need documentation just so that we can scale and bring new people in. And it's not like one-on-one training. This is what we expect, but everyone knows what we expect and the level of editing, which also makes it easy to message to our customers about what they get. So that's been, that's been a, a good learning experience there. Well, let me ask I'm you a skip question to about s- one of those. Yeah, go ahead. Share an observation yeah. is the training piece. Well, first of all, the competitive advantage of having access to that many editors is insane because that's that's another bottleneck I have is mm. what I'm trying to hire people to do is so obscure. Not yeah. many people are doing this. Like there are plenty of YouTube video editors out there or more generalist video editors that are like, yeah, I'm doing commercials and I'm doing case studies and I'm doing whatever yeah. I work with this YouTuber and that kind of thing. But like when I come to them and I say, hey, can you chop up 60 second clips for TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that? Do you do that? And it's changing a little bit as it gets more popular. Like you see more and more folks do this, but 
Yeah, most of them are like, what are you talking about? I guess I can do that. I don't know how to price that. Right. Like, okay, well, right. I need to figure that out because like I have margins to think about. So the talent pool, I think, is is something that like, to your point, like ace and hold, that's awesome that you can have that because that's something I'm struggling with. The other thing I was thinking about is the onboarding and the training. I almost think like it's probably worth having a course like hosted by Podia or in LearnDash or something like that where it's like, hey, new editor, like here are five lessons on how we edit. Like I know how you edit. Here's yeah. how we edit here at Editor mm -hmm. Ninja. And if you, you have to take this to get your first assignment and you have to send me like, proof of completion or whatever whether that's like a screenshot or something like that but that's what i'm thinking yeah. is here's how we create video clips you know and i'm thinking about yeah. building the same thing yeah yeah and i think that would be really valuable for you as well it would help you kind of sell people in for me with with editor ninja i mean the editing that we're doing is what they've been trained to do and they're just like what level of editing do we need are we like rearranging words and like cutting it down to, you know this is three thousand words needs to be cut down to 1700 no but but saying hey there's you know like your writer was kind of not fantastic and they have like first and second and third person and passive and active voice and all of this right yeah. um so, so they're providing that feedback and then we're finding that customers need to actually go back to their writer and be like hey you need to fix this because we said active voice and that kind of thing and you just didn't meet the brief which is which we're finding a lot actually which is interesting in the marketing space i think there's just a lot of people a lot of like writers out there that are not great which is why a lot of content coming out is not great so you know we're trying to companies just kind of level up all of that but you know i think it's also interesting to it's interesting for you with the you know youtube editor like video editors and social and graphic designers and that kind of thing is like what are they currently doing so for editor ninja like my our most recent editor that came on they're an mfa like level trained you know editor and, and literature person but they're making ends meet by working at starbucks they're making like $16 an hour working at Starbucks and I can pay them $23 an hour to do what they were trained to do, <laughs> right? So like it's a super easy sell. And as I have more like work for them, like they could, you know, honestly, their goal is that they quit working at the coffee shop to, you know, be able just to do, you know, what, what they've been trained to do and what they love to do. So, you know, it, and, and that works, that actually works quite well in my margins. So you know, versus for you, it's if they're making, you know, they're billing $40 an hour, right? Are you going to be able to make that work, you know, for YouTube editing? It's just like, that's where the, that, that's where the economics get really interesting in these yeah, businesses. I think it is tough because they're used to a lot of the, it's all over the place. First of all, like we have one really great video editor that like, he's kind of in that same situation, like working at a coffee shop, making ends meet. But he had this personal YouTube channel where he was like reviewing mechanical keyboards and it had 20,000 subscribers. And I'm like, dude, this huh. is like, this is great. Then the quality <laughs> of the videos you put yeah. out are great. So I know you're doing these 20 minute like top down shots of mechanical keyboards and assembling those and doing the ASMR like sound recording or whatever. But what if I just mm -hmm. ask you to do these things? And, and that worked out great. But like a lot of these folks yeah. are, hey, I'm a contract YouTube editor for this big account here that makes mm -hmm. half a million dollars a year. And, you know, whatever they pay me, 15,000 or 20,000, it's like, I don't know. I like, I can't, I can't hire that kind of person. So it is going to be, I think part of totally. the challenge is like the diversity. Like you do need kind of a graphic designer to do the graphical elements around the video. And then you need the video editor to look at the coloration and the audio quality and clip it up. And, and then you need somebody with like a journalistic angle and to pick the insightful pieces of the episode and say, clip this, clip mm -hmm. this, clip this, and then know the audience. So I think it's that diversity that makes the hiring part hard and maybe that's part of the struggle too with the whole DIY versus you know contracting debate that I brought up earlier was like I don't know I'm not just trying to find one type of person I'm trying to find three different types of people and build these pods right. or these little teams and there's some complexity there but uh, I don't want to derail you yeah. so that's the, the no you're fine update, I guess yeah 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 and, and your your challenge is that like your business has these natural built-in like process and you need three different very real skill sets versus with me it's like I built out our tech myself, you know, within WordPress. And basically it's like, 
me kind of PMing it and then getting it to an editor and the editor sends it back to me and then the system notifies me that it's back and I make sure that it gets sent back on the day that it's due. Like pretty straightforward. I don't have those extra layers, but at some point my goal is, and, and what we were talking about with setting goals for like this point that I'm going to do this, like we're at like 2,600 MRR right now, something like that, which for being six, seven weeks in the market, I'm pretty happy with, but by four or five K, if I sign on two, three more customers, right? Cause we're editing four to 5,000 words a day right now. Once we're at like 15, I'm going to need someone else <laughs> to be doing yeah. the like PM stuff, get work aside, make sure it gets back and get it reviewed. It should be an editor reviewing it, not me. Let's be honest. So, you know, how do we get editors reviewing each other's work? Like all these workflow things are going to come up as we get to more of a scale. So, but we're not like, you know, super heavy with all these different skills are needed to make this thing work. And so our pricing can be lower versus you're going to have to price higher in order to be able to afford the quality work to be able to get all these things. But to that point, talking about kind of scaling up, you know, I've got I've got six figures of deals, like potential deals in the pipeline already, which is awesome. But what I'm realizing is these things are taking longer to close than what I thought they were gonna take. Right. I've probably got eight, ten deals, something like that, potential deals in the in the pipeline. Um and what I found is that there's not much interest on the lower level where someone's like, I've got four pieces a month to get edited, right? Because four pieces a month, even if it's like 10,000, 12,000 words at, you know, 400 bucks a month, like it's probably not really, it's not really worth it to them, which is interesting. But what I'm finding is that there are a lot of co uh, companies that they're producing 100, 200,000 words a month for their, for themselves or for their clients. And so I'm actually wondering, is Editor Ninja actually kind of a higher volume thing? But Really what I'm thinking is like, how do I get people to like with, with agencies, it's all about baking it into their workflow. So they're like, okay, we want to sign on, but we need to figure out who's going to be owning it internally. Who's going to be responsible for it. How do we price it in so that like we can, you know, we can basically build this into our pricing for our new customers. How do we go back to our old customers and, you know, make these, make these margins work, all of that. And so I'm realizing that a lot of agencies want to put a lot of work through Editor Ninja. But I actually need to get them on the bottom, like unlimited level with one or two customers, right? And then they scale up as they go. So as they grow, our, their engagement with us grows. I haven't nailed that pitch yet. For let's start here. Make sure that it works well into your system, right? That you you figure out how it works into your workflow. And then we scale up from there as opposed to, like, I don't want someone coming in, paying us $3,000 a month for 200,000 words. And they don't, they don't have their own like workflows together, right? To make, to make it actually work. Cause then like, it's going to be a pain in the butt for me. It's going to be a pain in the butt for my editors. It's going to be a pain in the butt for them. And they're going to churn out. And so I would rather not do that than oversell them and then just kind of figure it out as they go. Cause that like heartache just isn't worth it to me at this point. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because I hear that lower level $400 a month. And that sounds interesting to me as the marketing leader at the good, like that's, that's roughly like we get maybe six or eight pieces out uh, a month and they're a mm -hmm. thousand to 1500 words a piece. And so it's, yeah. it, that, that's kind of where we would be, but we're a different kind of client than you signing on with a content marketing agency that serves multiple clients themselves and right. is funneling all right. of that content out. So it's almost, you know, in, I could see a future where you have a dedicated landing page for each with different messaging and value propositions. But as a yeah. starting point, maybe you pick one and to your point, you just say, I only work with content marketing agencies. I work with like animals and, and folks like that. And mm -hmm. Brian Castle at audience ops. Um, I forget who bought, it. I think JD Graham bought them. So, so it's JD, JD Graham yep. now, but, uh, but yeah, you, you go and you like reach out to those folks and say, Hey, do you, mm -hmm. can we plug into your production process and help you produce a better final product? for your clients. Yep. But the, you know, the, the tweak there is that like, 
they have a set deadline and it's okay. So yeah. the client's expecting us on Friday. The writer got it on Monday. They delivered the draft on Wednesday. Do you, can you turn it around in those two days? Because if you can't, we can't work with you. And like, that's not right. the place you want to be at either. Cause you have your own timelines that probably don't align with that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we've realized that I've realized that needs to be a little bit longer of kind of a, you know, a turnaround and it all depends on like how much work they have in their queue. And if they need something turned around quicker, like they can prioritize it, but it's also not going to start getting edited until the next day. So we don't have an option for a rush job at this point. Maybe we will, maybe it'll be like an add on, right? Another like $29 or something like that, like to, to rush this out or just, Hey, I need another piece, you know? And, and then basically it's like, it's like a short term, you know, second lane for them to be, you know, for them to be able to, uh, to do it. But then we kind of get into like the nickel and diming is $29 here, $29 there. Do we bill after the fact or, you know, before it actually gets done? Like, what does that look like? It's just a lot of infrastructure, you know, challenges. So at this point I'm trying to keep it simple, <laughs> right? Because otherwise it's like, we get into custom work. We get into, yeah, we, we just, it just becomes a lot more complicated and this business is meant to be simple, right? It's like you upload your, your content to your queue. You know when it's going into editing, you know when it's coming back and it happens, right? Yeah. And you don't have to you don't have to question whether it's going to or not. Yeah, it's an interesting like uh kind of model there cuz I mean you you one of the updates that you had for for Castaway that you've been thinking about is like full service versus productized. And I'm finding that like when I'm talking to people with Editor Ninja, people are like, "Well, but can you do keyword research for us? Can you do content research for us for new content like this kind of thing?" And I'm like, editor <laughs> ninja like right. we, we we edit content right we're not an seo agency right it seems like people are trying to push us in that direction i'm just constantly have to be like no we don't do that right which is just the like what you were mentioning about just being willing to say no say no more than you say yes but the you know the businessman the entrepreneur me is technically i could do that right and maybe we offer some of this as add-on you know services like we're updating someone's content for seo but they don't know what content to prioritize. And so, hey, pay us 500 bucks and we'll go and we'll build out your queue, right? And then we'll, you sign on for whatever, three months, like minimum, and we'll actually manage your queue for you. And we'll make sure that it gets uploaded and gets, you know, sent back to you. It's edited directly in your CMS. You don't have to do anything. You just pay us the money and it gets done. And we tell you yeah. when it's done. Um, but but I'm really trying to balance that. And, and also like early on prioritizing learning and getting revenue in the door and all of that versus like, Longer term, this thing needs to be just a rock solid process. So it's not custom work and it's not an agency. But most people don't have the productized service framework in their mind. They're like, either you're a SaaS or you're an agency, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you and I both know there's there's very much a middle ground there, but it's an education problem, which I'm not sure how to get over. Yeah, it's, it's really tough because I can see both sides of the argument, you know? Like I'm seeing more, they're not really castaway competitors, but I'm seeing more production houses add promotion onto the backside mm -hmm. of what they're doing. And that's the full mm -hmm. service approach. I'm like, yeah, I definitely get the appeal of that. That's a sexy headline. If you don't have a B2B podcast yet for your business, we can help you do it from start to finish. Like with the ideation, we'll do the editing of the audio. Like you just show up and host, send us the recordings and we'll do everything after that. And I've definitely mm -hmm. entertained that. And I didn't come out of the gates with that because like the editing piece, I think is a commodity service at this point. There are a thousand editing agencies in there, but I can definitely see why a client would say, I just want to work with one entity that'll do it all for me because I don't want to have to worry about the editor having their timeline and then fitting Castaway into that. And I've even gone to the point where in a sales call, I'll say, look, we don't work great in stream. Like we work hmm. great, like you hit publish and we do our stuff the week after to give it that second bump of awareness. You know, after you hmm. on launch day, you're gonna send it out to your email list or whatever, people are gonna listen. We wanna be that second and third wave that come after that. Or if you have a show that has a big archive that's gathering dust, we help you give all that stuff a second life because it's been neglected right. and nobody has listened to it for a while. So I'll even tell people like, that's where we fit in. We don't fit in midstream just because unless you're gonna hand us off a final edited file, then we don't work great inside of a tight timeline, like turning things around in a week, which is hard to do. But 
could we add editing to the service? Absolutely. Like we could go end to end and, but that's a little bit of a different business model. And then you got yet another role on the team that you're worrying about. So there's a lot of baggage that comes with that. In your instance, yeah, it's just like the editing piece is kind of the same way, right? Where if you're working with a content marketing agency, they're doing the ideation and brainstorming. They're probably doing some keyword research. They're doing the writing briefs. They hand it off to the writer. They get the draft back. And then somehow you got to find a way to squeeze editor ninja in there before their clients expecting a finished product. So it's, it's definitely messy, but I can also see why, you know, a, a client would say, well, can you just be my content development and editing agency in one, you know, that it's challenging, man. Yeah. It's a place to be. Yeah, totally. And so it, it really makes me wonder if like we get baked more into the, into the agencies and, and to be honest, we don't have any like content marketing agencies signed on yet. Like I got a bunch of yeah. them in the queue, like in the, in the, you know, in various deal stages, but like none of them have actually signed on yet. So the question is if we're going to get that, which is where the volume comes from and the higher ticket subscriptions come from, how do we have to be integrated into their process? Right. And you know, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that yet. Right now yeah. it's all in-house teams that are producing content for themselves, which is, you know, it's agencies producing content for themselves. It's, I mean, Credo signed up to, I'm using my own product, right? With my other yeah. company to, uh, you know, to, to get our stuff, uh, you know, edited, new stuff edited, old stuff updated, et cetera. So I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to kind of figure out who's, who's the ideal customer and kind of like what are the, what does the process look like for the different, the different customers in-house versus agency? I thought agencies were going to be the, the ideal customer. Not so convinced at this point after even just a few weeks of, you know, kind of messaging towards it. Yeah, that's too bad because that's what I was going to suggest is like the next time I go to an agency, I would say, don't try to inject this into an existing client account. Like somebody that's in your pipeline, present this to them and extend your mm -hmm. deadline or your timeline for delivering a piece by two or three days or whatever. And mm -hmm. build in that editor ninja time on the front end where you're setting expectations with that end client and also increase the price accordingly. And that would be way smoother than saying, hey, I'm a content agency already working with client A. I want to drop Editor Ninja into this process, but they've kind of been conditioned to expect a turnaround time of seven business days or whatever. And now I'm going to ask mm -hmm. them to make it 10. Like that feels troublesome there. So yeah, I know I know we're coming up against our time. So is there anything else you want to cover really quick before we bring it in for a No, I don't think so. I think we covered kind of a bunch of the the things that I really, you know, wanted to wanted to cover, you know, maybe let's, let's end it up with what are we working on? Why don't you tell me with uh, with Castaway, what are you kind of focusing on for the next few weeks? What's top of mind? Yeah, I think, I think before we talk the next time, I want to have that card site that I mentioned to you just live and out there. I want to have that next V1 out there so I can make a good first impression for any new leads that are coming in. And as part of that, I have a bunch of people that replied to that original tweet back last April or whenever it was um, where I got all that traction. And I need to reach back out to those folks and say, look, we're taking this seriously now. Here's our, here's our presence. It has pricing. It has deliverables. It has all that stuff that you're asking me via email anyway. So here's the update. Mm -hmm. And if this is still a need for you, like we'd love to jump in and get started. I think that'll juice some sales there, at least start some conversations. So yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's my main focus. And then outside of that, like I'm still going to try to build out the talent pool or build out the bench. And I need to, I think I'm kind of already leaning in the way of contracting more than doing it myself going forward, especially to your point, if I land one or two more clients, like I'm, I'm at max capacity. I won't be, I'll be doing like one or 2 AM every night. And then I can't also get up and go to the gym and be effective in my nine to five and be a dad and be a husband. That's too much. So, yeah. so yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and start making some progress toward building out that bench and basically asking people, I know they can't, they can't stand by and wait for assignments, but just saying, Hey, is it okay if I send you an opportunity when it comes through? I'm expecting something in the next 14 to 30 days, something like that. And if it, if it works for you, like I'd love to sign you on and make it a recurring thing kind of, so just kind of lay the groundwork for that. I think those are my two big efforts. I like it. Pre-selling it makes sense. So for me, the two things I'm working on, one is I want to get a couple more customers on board. I want to get a couple of these across the line. There's a couple agencies that are like 
super close that I'm like, all right, let's like actually get this committed, you know? So I'm, I'm definitely working on working on that kind of working those deals. And then I'm also, I mean, I'm an SEO and content guy, right? So I'm publishing, I've got some content coming up that I'm really excited about. I'm kind of tired of the like how to, what is like sort of content, like it works, but like it drives traffic and it drives leads, but it's just kind of boring to me. So I'm going to keep writing some of that, but I'm really trying to do just like bigger, like content studies. So one that will be out by the time this uh, episode publishes is I actually took uh, 799 B2B SaaS homepages and I ran them through Screaming Frog to find the number and percentage of them that have grammar and spelling issues on their homepage. And it was insanely high. Like it was unbelievably high to me, James. I was thinking like 30%, it's 90% plus. And so I'm like, holy crap, this is crazy, right? So I'm gonna publish that. I've got one coming up for e-commerce and then I'm gonna do one for uh, a piece about, you know, length of, uh, of, you know, average length of blog posts, which I'm actually gonna kind of gonna double dip and do for both Credo and Editor Ninja. Cause I could take that same data and publish it different, publish it the two places because both audiences are going to resonate with it. So yeah, so, so that's kind of what I'm what I'm working on right now. So really trying to just keep increasing audience and then increasing number of leads coming in and then really get some of these leads across the finish line, you know, to actually being paying customers. So that's my focus for the next few weeks. That's awesome. And, and not to put more work on your plate, but I'd love to see like some teardowns. I bet you could do well with article teardowns of like popular pieces that have been published and are live and just say, here's how this mm. could be improved or, you know, get just get one of your editors almost doing pro bono work. Like you still pay them, mm-hmm. but like doing these that aren't necessarily paying client work and then putting that on YouTube, putting that out on social media, like here's this piece and here's an editor's review of that. And here are like five ways that it could have been better or five mistakes that are maybe not given a great first impression, missing data elements, broken links, whatever you're looking for. And just kind of like a sample of the work that we try to do, you know, but if you get those brands in there, yeah, it's, yeah here's, here's something that Ahrefs could do to improve this piece, right? And people are gonna mm-hmm. click on that and watch the first couple of minutes, at least I'm sure. So I don't know, just food for thought. Brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. I will definitely noodle on that. I've got a couple of these like bigger studies coming up, but then that's an awesome idea. So I appreciate it. I will probably execute on that one. (laughs) Nice. Nice. All right. I will touch base here in a week or so and look forward to getting this one out for everybody to listen to. Sounds good. See you later, everybody. 